Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts with your word, with your truth. May we come face to face with you, the living God, and receive life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, either I am a really vigorous preacher, or I am so out of shape that just from preaching a sermon, I strained a neck muscle this past week. Literally, last week, outside in the lobby chatting with people after service, I just started getting this really bad pain in my neck, and throughout that day, it just got worse and worse and worse, and I started feeling nauseous as well. I started worrying that I had a heart attack because I watched Vice the week before, so everything seems like it's a heart attack. Um, And I was genuinely worried that maybe something was wrong. And I did go to the doctor the next day and he said, you just strain your neck muscle. It's fine. Um, So if I look a little bit crooked up here, like if I'm doing this, that's why. I'm not just always saying things with a question mark. Um, But in order to ease the stress of preaching a little bit, I'm going to ask someone to come up here and help me a little bit, just to make it a little bit easier. So Josh is going to help me a little bit this morning with my preaching. Just, just to help, help, help me out a little bit here, okay? Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, as a preacher, God speaks through me, right? And so, but I need a little help speaking today, okay? He says that God says it's going to be a great service. He says that God says God's going to really use it to change lives and speak through the series. <laughs> Dee says that God says that the Ten Commandments get life and we should obey them. <laughs> Dee says that God says that we should delight in his word. Uh, thank you, Josh. <laughs> sure. So that's what it was like for like half of the main action of Moses being used by God to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. Right? Like you might remember, or maybe you haven't read it recently, that Moses felt insecure about his speaking ability, that he resisted time and time again for God to use him. And God met him where he was at time and time again. And finally, Moses was like, I just, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. And God was like, okay, I'll give you Moses. And we forget that this was kind of the setup, that God spoke to Moses, Moses spoke to Aaron, and Aaron spoke to the people. Now, you know, sometimes we've just, our, our idea of the Exodus account comes from watching 1956, Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments, or maybe Disney's Prince of Egypt in 1998, or even some Bible cartoons that are trying to be really faithful to the text. But almost always, without fail, maybe Aaron's there, maybe he's not there at all, it's really just Moses doing the speaking, right? Because when we tell stories through movies, we just get into that hero mode. Moses is the hero. So Moses is the one who speaks and speaks, but that's not what scripture says about how it went. It was this very awkward way of communicating. And Moses' insecurities was really laid bare before the congregation, the people throughout. 
and it really is also a sign of God's graciousness that he would set it up in such a way to bring an Aaron into Moses' life to help him build confidence that at some point Moses did begin really to speak for himself, speak God's word to people rather than go through Aaron, um, which is really kind of awkwardly funny in some ways. Now we're starting this new series called Life with God, a study of the Ten Commandments. I encourage you to uh, read Exodus 1 through 19 and 20 is where uh, the Ten Commandments are given. Uh, I'm going to do the series until Lent, essentially, maybe bleeding into Lent a little bit. And I'm really going to try to just spend today's uh, sermon setting up the context for the Ten Commandments. And then next week we'll dive into the First Commandment. And uh, we're going to focus really mostly on Exodus 19 and then ending with these first two verses of Exodus 20, uh, which we heard read earlier, which we we call, theologians call, the preamble to the Ten Commandments, the preamble to the Decalogue. It's a very short way of reminding God's people this is the context in which you are to understand and live out these commandments. So let's dive in uh, to Exodus 19, and we'll see where God leads. So we see in in Exodus 19, and I'm not going to read all of it, uh, God is speaking to Moses, explaining to him what is about to happen. And essentially what is happening is God is descending down from heaven to Mount Sinai to uh, reveal himself to God's people. And he speaks these words in uh, chapter 19, verse 4, to again, to help them understand the context for which he's giving his laws right now. And he says this, you yourselves have have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What we're going to see in this, just this first section of chapter 19, roughly verses 1 through 11, is we see that God is personal and he speaks to us. And this might sound like a very obvious thing to say to a room full of Christians, but bear with me. Um, verse 11 goes on to say, For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. Now this idea of God coming down, again, is this idea of God, of Scripture, being a personal God. A God who wants to reveal himself to people, who wants to engage with people, relate to people. That is at heart what he's about. And it reminds us that the Ten Commandments, a chief misunderstanding about the Ten Commandments is that it is not a bunch of impersonal rules. It's not a bunch of impersonal rules. They are, they were at the time, the clearest personal revelation of God to date of the character of God and his will for people of how they were meant to live as his image bearers. That's the context in which we had to ideally understand the Ten Commandments. God had been, what we see in Exodus 1 through 19, God had been hearing the cry of Israel to be delivered from slavery from Egypt. He had been feeling for their suffering. And he had, in actual fact, been delivering them from that oppression um, under Egyptians. And God was, in Exodus, increasingly revealing himself, speaking his word to them to show them how to live in relationship with God and how to live in the world which God created. He says, right, 
the world is mine, the earth is mine. So again, we have to remember as we approach the Ten Commandments that they are ideally meant to be understood in the context of a God who is personal, a God who seeks relationship with us, and a God who speaks to us. Now, here's just one way to think of it. When I uh, used to focus on men's ministry, I would kind of just try to really evaluate what is culture's attitude towards masculinity today. And I don't know if you've heard of this website slash YouTube channel. It's called Art of Manliness. I know some people have told me about it. Um, But I I used to watch some of those videos to kind of see what is the world's idea of masculinity. Now, if you've never watched any of these videos on YouTube called Art of Masculinity, it's essentially, it's almost laughable. It seems laughable, but it's like, here's a two-minute video on how to shave. Here's a two-minute video on how to tie a tie or three different ways to tie a tie. Here's, you know, another three-minute video on, you know, how to speak with a manly voice, literally. I was just checking again this morning. You can learn how to speak with a manly voice. You know, this, here's another three minutes on how to greet someone in a strong, you know, masculine way. And it's really interesting because it really just spoke to how in today's culture there's this perceived feeling amongst a younger generation of not having been taught these things. And so there's a million subscribers on Art of Manliness. There's a million, I'm assuming men, who care about watching these videos to learn, theoretically, what it means to be a man. Now, okay, think of men watching videos on Art of Manliness to learn how to be a man versus a man being fathered by his own father by men in his life, whether in his family or in his community, what is the difference between those two things, do you think? It's a huge difference. Right? You could learn a bunch of stuff on Art of Manliness on how to shave, but the power to shape and influence is so much greater through relationship. It is exponentially greater You might be able to learn some skills on art of manliness, but your character won't be formed through watching a bunch of videos. Character is formed through relationship. And so we think of the Ten Commandments as just like a bunch of impersonal rules that are life skills that we have to learn. We miss the context. We don't just need to know what is right and wrong. We need to be fathered by God. We need to be in relationship with God. We think of learning and change like the movie Matrix. We still do. We think we just need a bunch of stuff downloaded into our brain and then we can change. So, Ten Commandments, just download the Ten Commandments into my brain, memorize them, then I'm going to change. No, that's not what God is saying here. Right? Do you think, right, it works in the matrix because they're not real people, right? They're virtual people living in a virtual world. So yes, you can download a bunch of stuff about Kung Fu and then in the virtual world pull out Kung Fu moves. But if we actually could today download all the knowledge possible about Kung Fu into our brains, do you think your body can handle pulling out these Kung Fu moves? No, your muscles haven't developed. You don't know what it feels like what to do. You're just going to fall over trying to execute these moves that are theoretically ingrained into your brain, 
right? You need a real-life kung fu master to train you in real life so that you can be shaped into a real martial artist. It's the same thing with God. God doesn't give us these commandments just so that we know right and wrong. He's giving it in context of being a personal God who wants to relate to us, who wants to speak to us, who wants to shape us through relationship. So first thing we see here, really in this section, but really throughout this first section of Exodus, is that God is personal and he speaks to us. In the second section, verses 12 through 20, we see that God is holy. That God is, is talking about God coming down from heaven descending upon Mount Sinai and letting his presence, bringing his presence to God's people. And we see here in verse 12, it says, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. So it's pretty extreme. Okay, like, okay, God's going to come down from heaven and made his pre- put his presence on Mount Sinai and the people aren't to touch this mountain, and if they do, they will die? That seems a bit extreme, God. You know, it's always been, I think, always been fashionable to say God is love, and God is love. But God is also holy. These are the tensions, so to speak, always upheld in Scripture. God is love, and we could even say love is God's chief characteristic, but God is also holy. We're not to say they cannot exist together. Scripture says they do exist together, that God is love and God is holy. God is love, but the distance between God's goodness and our goodness is great. And this, again, might sound like a really obvious thing to say, but we rebel against this idea that God's goodness is much greater than our goodness. Our lack of goodness relative to God, not to anyone else, our lack of goodness relative to God puts us in danger because of God's perfect holiness. We cannot stand in the presence of a perfectly holy God in and of ourselves. But because God is love, throughout Scripture, He's been about bridging that distance between His goodness and our goodness or lack of goodness. The Ten Commandments do express the holiness of God. They show us the distance between what we think is good and what God says is good. Now, if there is a holy God and we humans are broken, if we can accept those two premises, then it really shouldn't be surprising at all for us to have this feeling of God's law is too restrictive. It shouldn't be surprising that we disagree with God's definition of what is good. Not surprising when we react, surely God, you don't really mean for us not to do that. Surely God, you don't really mean that we have to love to that extent. Why do you ask so much from us, God? And the reason is simply because God is holy, and we are his image bearers. He calls us to be like him. He made us to be like him. There's a reason why God's laws are summarized through love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love means honoring your father and mother. Love means not cheating on your spouse. Love means not 
stealing. Love means not murdering. Love means not lying to other people. Love means not envying and coveting other people's things. But even to put it that way is just scratching the surface of what God's goodness means. And Jesus really challenges that in the Pharisees. As much as we believe love is not just a feeling, we don't like it when our quality and quantity of love is examined by God's law, by God's goodness. We don't like it. We just don't like that feeling, right? And we see here in this scene, God coming down to Mount Sinai, the people of God around Mount Sinai being told not to touch it or they will die. And verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then goes on to say, verse 19, And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. (laughs) We just can't relate to this as Christians today. I mean, you're standing in front of a mountain where God is supposed to be. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's thick cloud, there's trumpet blasts that are deafening. Right? The people of God are trembling at the sense of God's holiness there. On that mountain, they have never experienced anything like it before. They were palpably witnessing the holiness of God. Now, again, as humans, we we just don't like to be exposed. You come before a perfectly holy being, and you feel exposed. You feel inadequate. You feel how you fall short of the goodness before you. To stand in the presence of the perfectly holy God, we're bound to feel all of those things and simply not like it. Nonetheless, though we don't like that feeling, God is holy. And his goodness is far greater than our goodness. And just because it makes us uncomfortable shouldn't mean that we start minimizing his goodness or thinking that he's not holy at all. This is always the temptation for us as humans to minimize God's holiness or to even say he's not holy at all. But let's continue. We see this scene of God's holiness coming down to Mount Sinai, his presence. Verse 21 to 25, we see that God, yes, is holy. He's personal. He speaks to us. He's holy. But God also sends a mediator. Verses 21 to 25, we see this described very clearly. The Lord said to Moses, verse 21, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, and many of them perish. Verse 23, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. Verse 24, again, saying to Moses, Go down and come up bringing Aaron. And then goes on to say, Do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord. Okay, Moses, go down. Don't let the people come up. It's getting repeated again and again. Verse 25, so Moses went down to the people and told them. Right? We see here, Moses is the agent, right? Moses is the go-between. Moses is the mediator between God and the Israelites. God speaks to Moses. Moses passes it on to the people of God. Although, of course, we can't forget Aaron for a time. God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to Aaron. Aaron speaks to the people. And when the people grumble against God, but they speak to Moses, Moses passes it on 
to God. He is the mediator, the go-between, the agent between the Israelites and God. The Ten Commandments themselves had to be delivered through a mediator. The people themselves could not receive it on their own. And the Ten Commandments can only actually be perfectly obeyed by a mediator. Jesus. And so, the, so Moses, the mediator between Israel and God, points to how Jesus is the mediator between the human race and God. Except Jesus is the mediator. The mediator, the end, all mediators. And because Jesus, the mediator, is God, we actually now have direct access to God. We don't... We are going through a mediator, but that mediator is God, mediator is God himself. And right today is Epiphany Day. Epiphany Day on the liturgical calendar is the day we celebrate and remember that the wise men, the pagan wise men, traveled a long distance to find the infant Jesus. Or toddler Jesus. Whatever age we think he is. Even then, we remember that Jesus is the mediator between the human race and God. And the reason why Jesus is the mediator and can be the mediator between God and the human race because Jesus is both fully God and fully human. Isn't that what we, the Christmas is all about, right? The coming of God in the flesh. He could be the mediator between God and the human race because Jesus is fully God and fully man. So we're pointed to how God sends a mediator in this text in Moses, about Moses, but also we're pointed right away to Jesus, the mediator that we all need. But we come now to this, what we call the preamble of the Ten Commandments. Very brief, very common in covenants that were made back then for there to be a preamble to, again, describe, summarize the context for this these responsibilities, these blessings and curses. So chapter 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So in this preamble, God says really three simple things. One, I am the Lord your God. And simply saying, God has authority over his creation, over all human beings. Two, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's saying, I already love you. I have already delivered you. Three, I brought you out of slavery. He's saying he is about setting us free from not only physical slavery, but spiritual slavery. The physical slavery that the Israelites were under with the Egyptians points to the spiritual slavery that we are all under as humans through sin. The Ten Commandments are given by a God who is gracious in this way. He has already loved us. He has already delivered us. He is already in relationship with these people. And so again, just tracing what we've talked about so far today, God is a God who is personal. God is a God who speaks. God is a God who speaks His character to us and His design for us through the Ten Commandments. And they are gracious because they show us where life is to be found. 
It is to be found in relationship with God and to be found in God's revelation of how we are meant to live as his image bearers. The Ten Commandments are given in the context of relationship with God after he has delivered us. Now this might sound like you've heard this before, but it doesn't matter if you've heard it before. Our human tendency is always to think of the Ten Commandments as, I need to follow these rules so that God will love me. I need to follow these rules so that God will bless me. And so when we go through times of suffering, we think, God must not love me. God must not be there. God must not care right now. But the context, again, of these commandments is not follow these rules so that God will love you. The context is God has already delivered you from slavery. He has already loved you. Yes, He reveals the responsibilities we have in our relationship to Him. But we have to remember that covenant relationship is God also has promised to deliver on His responsibilities in that relationship. And so we are reminded in this, in this context, verse chapter 19 and these first two verses in chapter 20, that God's blessing is not to be mechanically earned like collecting cereal points on the cereal box to get the special toy that Quaker Oats promises us. God himself promises on his very own life that he will come through on this covenant relationship. It is not just us trying to earn his love and his blessing. He already loves us. He has already saved us. And now he says, here is my will for you. Here is where life is to be found. And so we see just as it is with the Israelites, he has already loved them. He has already saved them. He is bringing them into the promised land. He is showing them how to live in the wilderness. Isn't that exactly where we are at as Christians? We believe he has already loved us. He has already saved us. He is bringing us to the promised land. He is showing us how to live in the wilderness. We still live in a broken world. We talk about how there's an old covenant relationship described in the Old Testament and a new covenant relationship described in the New Testament. And it's, it's important to, as the, as the Galatians text we, pointed, we read earlier points out, the old covenant relationship is that mentality of, I must follow these rules so that God will love me and bless me. And God says, I never meant for you to relate to me in this way. It was always meant to be about grace. And yet we as humans have twisted God's revelation to think that is what we were meant to do. That in the Old Testament, we, God's plan A was to follow his commandments and try to earn his blessing. No, that was never God's plan. And yet we twisted it. And God in the new covenant relationship through Jesus is trying to make clear greater than ever. He has already loved us. He's already achieved our deliverance, our salvation. We are already in relationship with us. And Jesus, the mediator, the perfect, fully human, fully God person, God-man, 
will bring this about in our lives. God is gracious. We must approach the Ten Commandments understanding that God is gracious. And I said I would explain why this series is called Life with God. It's called Life with God because of what I just said. The Ten Commandments are not ways in which to earn brownie points with God. It is a description of how we're meant to live as God's image bearers, how we're meant to live in relationship with God, and through that relationship leads into everything else we do in our life. You know, the Ten Commandments are classically defined as, yes, revealing God's right and wrong. Ten rules to follow, if you will. And so, for those who have no relationship with God, they're still good to be understood and received from the Ten Commandments. There's still ethical benefits that we can receive as individuals, as a society, to look to the Ten Commandments to understand what is good, what is not good. The Ten Commandments is also a way to show us our need for Jesus, how we cannot be holy in and of ourselves, by ourselves, to become like God, to become, to be able to stand before a holy God. The Ten Commandments is also ten ways when we are in relationship with God to understand how we are to delight our God. He shows us very clearly. It is not like, in comparison in Scripture, worshiping pagan gods where you're just guessing. Who is this God? What delights this God? Maybe I'll just throw up some random sacrifices. God says very clearly, this is what delights me. Look to my commands. And the next two things I'm going to say really are um, following on from how we are to, to, to bring delight to our Lord who we're in relationship with. If you enjoy Tim Keller, I would say Tim Keller's sermon series on the Ten Commandments is great. You certainly should listen to it at some point in your life. And Tim Keller makes a very, like the theme in his series, and this is a theme really in his teaching in general, is that the Ten Commandments bring freedom. Freedom from slavery, right? So again, the preamble we just talked about says, God has delivered us out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of worshiping false idols. And so he really, that's again, just the theme of his teaching, a theme of how he approached the Ten Commandments. And it's good. We need to see that it's not just God's, God has some arbitrary rules for us to follow, but that it brings freedom to our lives. Freedom to worship the true God. Freedom from slavery to false idols. It shows us that God's laws, again, are not arbitrary, but then following his laws brings freedom. And I'm going to take a little bit of a different tact, although I agree with Tim Keller. You almost have to say that, right? Like, how dare someone not agree with Tim Keller? But I do actually disagree with him slightly. And so, as you'll see as I go through this sermon series, this will be a theme in what, how I'm teaching the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments reveal ten desires that find fulfillment in Christ. The Ten Commandments reveal ten desires that we have that find fulfillment in Christ. Desires that God has given us. Desires that God has placed in us as his image bearers. And then, and then to see that 
all of our searching to fulfill those desires in other things is misplaced. That in the end, the place to find that fulfillment for those desires is in Christ himself. That in Christ himself, we will find our deepest fulfillment and we will find our truest identity by living the life that God has created for us. That again is revealed in the Ten Commandments. What I would say is maybe a slight... This is where some people may disagree with me, theologians and teachers, and that's fine. Some people look at our sinfulness and will say, because we are sinful, we cannot trust our desires. And so in this sense, what I'm saying might be a bit controversial, that, again, I'm a reformed person who believes in total depravity. And again, total depravity doesn't mean that we are as evil as we can be. It means that all of our faculties, mind, heart, emotions, desires, physically, are broken, are fallen. But none of them so fallen that they don't still reflect our image as God bear, as God, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to try to correct myself. Um, often when we hear people, teachers, pastors say, don't trust your emotions, don't trust your desires, it comes out of this belief that those things are fallen, but our intellect is not. Well, that's, no one actually really believes that. Not no one, some people believe that. But in general, in Orthodox Christianity, people think our minds are fallen, our desires are fallen. And so I think our desires can and do point us to God. And we can look at the Ten Commandments and see, oh, God has made me with this desire. That is why he calls me to live in this way. Okay, just as an example, because I'm seeing some blank faces. Right? God created us for monogamous relationship. There is a desire in us for that. There's a reason why when someone cheats on us, we get raging jealous. Because we weren't made for that. Right? So there is a desire in us for that commandment. Do not commit adultery. Anyway, we're going to dive deep into all of these things, all of these ways in which God gives us the Ten Commandments to show us what life with God and life in this world is about. And so, really, the only application for you today is this. is just to think about your relationship with the Ten Commandments. How do you think of the Ten Commandments in your life? How do you relate to them? Perhaps, how do you see the Ten Commandments as oppressive? A lot of people would say that. And even as Christians, though we may not say that, we may feel that. How does God need to challenge the role the Ten Commandments has in your relationship with Him? I'm going to say those three things again. What is your relationship with the Ten Commandments? What do you see as its role in your life? How do you see the Ten Commandments, perhaps as oppressive? How does God need to challenge the role of the Ten Commandments in your relationship with God? Okay, let's pray.